All right, so um, we have been pressing along now for several weeks, speaking about the intermediate state. Um, I've been calling this either intermediate state, uh, intermediate heaven. Um, The layover is kind of the overarching idea here is that when we speak about heaven and where we'll go when we die, if we die today, that place, we will go and then we will be there in hopeful anticipation of the resurrection ultimately um, where we will spend um, eternity in the completed work of God with all of the saints that he's gathered from all the nations throughout the history of the world. Um, with that being said, we've, we've kind of split this up into two, uh, two major categories. One, calling, one we're calling the layover, and we're answering questions specifically about uh, this intermediate state and what heaven might be like and how we think about heaven um, in the time between um, creation and the resurrection. And then uh, we'll spend um, a good deal of time somewhere down the line digging into what we have to hope for when we think about heaven eternal or heaven after the resurrection. So with that being said, today we're answering another question in regards to this intermediate state. Um, And that question, simply put, is what is life like for those in heaven now? So if you were to die today or if you know someone who has died today and they are in Christ and they find themselves in heaven um, what is what is that life like for them today? So we're going to begin this exploration today. We will not finish it up today. Um, so I've kind of broken it up into two parts. One which we're going to lay, lay a foundation. That's what that's what we're going to be doing this afternoon. Uh, as soon as we get that foundation laid, we'll be asking questions along the way. But as soon as we get that laid, we'll call it. Uh, We'll call it for tonight, and then we'll pick back up next week. And we're going to kind of, the idea, the way that we're going to approach answering this question of what's heaven like for those who are in heaven today, or what might we experience if we pass from this life into the next before the resurrection happens, what what could we have to hope for in that? Um, we're going to lay kind of a broad foundation tonight, and then we're going to take one one passage of text next week um, and kind of from it start pulling out um all kinds of interesting observations from it. With that being said, this is probably a good opportunity for me to make a recommendation. If you're interested in learning more about heaven and you want to do some research outside of uh, just what we're doing here on Wednesday nights, a really good book by Randy Alcorn um, is called Heaven. Um, So if you were to go to Amazon or something like that, I recommend it. Next week we will be actually leveraging uh, one of the chapters that he's got in that book and some of the observations that he's made there uh, in regards to this question itself. Um, so you could be reading ahead if you wanted to to get that book, you could get it on Kindle or buy it and get a physical copy if you want to do that. So um, today, if you want to go ahead and be turning with me to the book of John chapter 13, um, we're going to start reading here, um, kind of laying that broad that broad foundation that we're going to build off of next week. Um, Again, in case y'all's attention spans are as short as mine, what is the question we're attempting to ask tonight? The question is, what is life like for those in heaven now? Uh, A general statement that I'll lay out for this foundation, right? So if you wanted to think about 
Um, what is it that I'm trying to point you in the direction towards tonight? What is the takeaway tonight? Um, and don't think that you can just tune out after I give you this. <laughs> We're going to dig into why this is true, right? But I've tried to kind of pack it into one simple statement. And this is what we're going to try to get to tonight. Life is far better. So what's life like in heaven? Life is far better with Christ in paradise. Okay, so that's the foundation that we're going to lay out tonight. Life is far better with Christ in paradise. And this is kind of part of the answer to what is life like for those. It's far better. And it's with Christ, and it's in paradise. So, John chapter 13, um, chapter 13, verse 33 uh, is where we'll start. We're going to move towards verse 6 of chapter 14, um, and we're going to make some observations, and some. we're going to consider these things uh, along the way. And then I'm going to kind of, when we get through making some observations about this particular text, I'm going to bring out some questions that I have as we, as I myself have been studying this. So um, one thing that uh, I hope happens as we continue through this study on heaven, I feel like a lot of times when it comes to questions about the Bible, maybe, maybe this is just me, but I don't think that it is just me, is that we find ourselves wanting to just have all the answers, right? Like, wouldn't it be nice if you just had all the answers, especially considering that there's some tough questions that could be asked about Scripture? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just have all the answers? And while it would be nice, um, I would go so far as to say is that if we ran out of good questions to ask, then it could get boring really quickly. Um, So one thing that I love about God's Word and about these types of studies is that as we begin answering questions, oftentimes we'll answer one and half a dozen will pop out of the other end of that. And I want to encourage you as we kind of continue along in this, if you notice me oftentimes attempting to answer one question and along the way throwing up a dozen other questions, be okay with that, okay? Um, that's just a general approach that I think I think it um, it kind of presses us into our curiosity. It presses us into the depths of God's Word. So um, tonight, as we're attempting to answer one question, I will probably raise several other questions along the way um, as, we make these, as we make these observations. So, uh, John chapter 13, verse 33. Um, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews... So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment, I'm going to go ahead and just read all the way through this, and then we're going to go back and, and pick up a couple of different, a couple of different points along the way. Um, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you, love, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, you will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house 
are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So now let's go back up and let's look at this. And what I want to do, I kind of want to point out a couple of things to you. Um, we're going to look at verses 33. We're going to look at verse thir- this transition really quickly from, from what he says in verse 33 into 34. And then kind of a, a pivot back, okay? Um, in, the, in the New Testament, um, we find a few occasions where Jesus gives new insight, new commandments. And this is one of those places. Um, but we find ourselves in the in this run of text that we're looking at here uh, in the book of John. We find ourselves very close to Jesus pushing towards the cross. Like we are like on our way to the cross here. And Jesus is no doubt. Um, as we, as we see through the narrative as Jesus goes towards the cross, we can see the nature of Jesus as the weight of what is coming upon Him gets closer and closer and closer to the point of like sweating drops of blood. The, the, the level of pressure, the level of stress is so great. Yet what we find all along the way is Jesus, in spite of carrying this heavy burden that He finds Himself carrying... Pointing, he, he finds it better instead of to dwell in that stress, in that pressure, to point those that he loves, those that he cares about, towards the hope that they have. Even in the way that he's referring to them, even in the way that he addresses them, like here in verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, before we tra- make this transition in, I, I want us to, to, to understand that it will be very hard for us to put ourselves in the position of His disciples and the way that they hear what He's telling them. right? Because we find ourselves never having seen Him with our own eyes, never having walked with Him, never having, for the most part, given up everything that we were heading towards as a goal and betting it all on Him. And then coming to this point to where you're hearing Him say that He's not going to be with you longer when you, in your mind, by your expectations, thought that you were going to the throne room with this guy. Right? Like you think He is going to overthrow your oppressors. And now you're hearing him talk about not being with you for much longer. And you've given everything. And and in the midst of this, like in the midst of this, I want us to understand that as we read it, these were men who loved him, who had given everything in their lives over to follow after him. And they're in this moment now 
where they're having to wrestle with the idea of not being with Him. Right? Not being with Him. We think about what it will be like one day when we meet Him face to face. They had met Him. They had experienced the miracles. They had walked with Him. They had talked with Him. The conversations that we hope to have with Him in heaven and eternity, they were having with Him then. And he, he, they hear Him tell the Jews earlier in this chapter that for a little while and He's going to be gone, right? And now He's addressing them and He's like, I'm telling the same thing that I told them. I'm telling you, I'm with you for a little while. You won't see Me, right? And then He gives them this new commandment, which doesn't happen often in the New Testament. We find it happening here. So He says, I'm not going to... He says, yet a little while I'm with you. And then you'll seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And they're like, what? And then he's like, pivot, I've got a new commandment. I give, and this is the new commandment. I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the disciples continued on saying, Jesus, tell us more about this love that we should have for one another. Is that where the text goes? Here, know what happens. These men who walked with Jesus hear this new commandment that He's given them. But as you would expect, what do they do? They pivot back to this question about, like, we're all in for you, Jesus. Like, we're here to be with you. And now you're telling us that where you're going, we can't go. Like, what are we supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And that's Peter being one of the more vocal of the of his followers, he continued with this idea that Jesus had put forward. So instead of asking a question about this new command that he gave in regards to loving one another, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? So I want us, as we, as we dig into this, to, to consider what it would be like if we were in their shoes and we were hearing this message that this guy that we've given everything for is telling us that he's going to a place that we cannot go. And we wonder, Lord, where is it that you're going that we cannot go? And Peter voices this question, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow after. Kind of a prelude of what was coming for the majority of them is that they would soon find themselves following after. And there's a takeaway here for us as well. Is as, as long as days can seem for us, this life that we find ourselves enjoying or struggling with is but a vapor. It is here a day and gone the next. It is you are sitting here as young people who they call youth in a moment, and then the next you find yourself where I find myself. Like there's some of you here today that were here when I was in the youth. So you can testify to the fact that like a, like a vapor, this life will pass. But for them, uh, for Peter particularly, um, he would, he would, in his lifetime, follow after Jesus 
um, in very, very like manner uh, to the way that, that Jesus himself uh, went. So here, uh, verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, um, and we, we know this, we've heard this uh, a hundred thousand times, it seems, the response that Jesus gives him. Um, and not showing him that he wasn't willing in a sense to cut him down, but to make known a reality to him that the work that Jesus had to do, there was none other that could do this work. Um, And it is only through that work that uh, Peter could later find himself... um, Hoping for life while facing down, while facing down death. And so as he puts this forward, like you're not, like you you say you will die for me, but you need me to even muster up the courage to step forward and die. And he finds himself here, like again, encouraging. Right? Uh, no doubt he would have. He would have. Uh, doubled down on the commandment and, and expounded on this love that they were to have for one another. But uh, seeing their troubled hearts, uh, our Savior desiring to comfort them uh, gives us this uh, hope that we're going to look at here as we enter into chapter 14 that is a uh, kind of part of this foundation that we're going to be building out uh, as we, as we answer this question about what's life like in heaven today. And Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then in verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. Uh, some of your translations might read mansions here. Um, and from this, um, this, is a, this is an aside. This is kind of... This is not the point of what I'm trying to say, but this is just a, an aside. There's a reason that um, many of the newer uh, translations have chosen to use rooms um, here instead of mansion because the word that gets translated rightly into mansion is understood in a different way now for us than it was for the original readers of this text. So like, when you think about like mansion, what do you think about? Like if you were to go down the road and you saw like a one room shack, are you going to call that a mansion? No. Why? Because your idea of what a mansion is, is different. It's shifted. It's not simply a place where you dwell. But you think about a mansion as like, it it shifts your... The idea of mansion for us as modern readers shifts our eyes towards riches and away from the place that will be, right? Like the, the, the word that he uses here that's translated in the King James for mansion that's translated here in the ESV as rooms is if we were to go down to verse 23 of this chapter, and I'm going to read it real quick just to kind of uh, get this placed in our in our minds. He says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home with him. This word that's translated home here, same word that's translated rooms 
above in the text that we're looking at here. The takeaway for what this word means is it's the place that we dwell. Right? It's the place we live. Okay, so don't let your focus here when you see what Jesus is doing take you immediately to like riches, but it should take you to this idea of you will dwell with him and he is preparing a place for you specifically. And that's what he's kind of getting at here. So in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? We're going to think about that. Uh, here in a little bit. But as we think about what it's like in heaven, if we think about that as we answer this question today, um, it's a place that Christ is preparing for us that we can dwell with Him. And then He says in verse 3 here, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself, that where I am you may be also. So this fear that he's going to a place that they cannot go, that he's comforting them in this, that he is going to prepare a place for them, that he will come and bring them so that they can abide with him forever. All right. Um, so I want us to think about I want us to think about this text. Uh, I want us to think about it a little bit. A couple of questions that come out. Um, for me um, as I read through this. So I'm not promising you that I'm going to answer all of these. I stipulated that up front, okay? Um, I want to put them out there so that you can think about them. And then next week as we start building from this foundation, um, some of these questions ought to circle back into your mind um, but I just want to kind of put them out there. And uh, it's intentional that I'm going to leave some of them hanging for you to think about and consider. Um, but from this text, he, so he says he's going to prepare a place for us. One of the questions that I have when I think about this is, is this a one-time occurrence or is this a thing that is occurring today? Okay, so what do I mean by that? Like, does he mean when he says he's going to prepare a place for them, is this an instantaneous thing that he does? Or if we could peer into heaven today, would we see him actively working today in fulfilling this promise? Like, is it an active thing that's taking place now? And then another question that I have, as I think about that, as I think about him going and preparing a place that we will dwell together for eternity, I think, is it a one-time thing? Did he do it once? Boom, it's like magic. It's all played out. Um, or is it taking place over time? And that time is overlapping our own time in real time, right? So that as we are experiencing life here, life is being experienced in heaven. And is that promise of preparing that place occurring alongside us living our lives? I think that there's some interesting things to consider when we consider that. Okay, Because one question that I have that kind of stems out of that is are those who are in heaven now. So we're asking the question tonight, what is that life like in heaven now? And the question that comes for me out of that is, are those who are in heaven now participating in that work, in fulfilling that promise, right? Are they working in heaven now to fulfill this promise that Jesus is 
put forward to His disciples that He's preparing a place. A place where we will go and be with Him. Um, And part of the underlying thought that leads me to ask that question is, um, I don't see in Scripture oftentimes where this great work that God is doing is a thing that He just does at the snap of a finger. Is Is He working to redeem a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue? Has he done that work? It is as good as done, but he's actively working to complete that work in real time today. Yes, you are a part of that. If you are a believer, you are a part of this outworking of the to the nations talk. Right now, if that's the case, you are an active participant here in the work that God is doing. What makes us think that we're just going to be lazy sitting around when we get there? What makes us think that? Especially when we see the vivid imagery coming down in the book of Revelation in the latter chapters of this city that's coming down out of heaven. We'll get more into that as we kind of push along. But I want us to think about that um, in regards to this question about what life might be like in heaven today. Like, are we actively participating even while we're there in something like universally global in the scope of its magnitude, right? Um, and then another question that I have that, that comes out of this, um, is this place that he's preparing the same place that we see at the end of Revelation? Is this place the new Jerusalem that he's speaking about preparing here. So these are some questions. Again, want to just leave them out there for you uh, tonight. Not going to attempt to answer them. I just want to kind of like trigger your thoughts towards these things, right? Because I think we have we have kind of a stereotypical view of what heaven looks like, like the the heaven that we have now. And oftentimes it looks way closer to like on a cloud with harps than it does like walking around doing something useful with your time, right? Um, so let's let's continue on. Um, and we've touched on this, so we'll just kind of briefly, uh, I just want to kind of briefly remind you of this text tonight. So Philippians 1, chapter 23, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, uh, the latter part of that verse, he says, my desire is to part, to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better. So to be with Christ is far better. So we're kind of building this like this foundation that we're going to be in His presence. Being in His presence is going to be far better than anything that we could hope to experience here. And this is... I want, I want y'all to listen to me, especially you guys up front. Like As you have your whole lives ahead of you and you think about all that there is in front of you, and I tell my daughter this oftentimes, like you find yourself in the younger years of life where most of life in front of you is potential, right? And then you live life, and then along the way, like you make decisions, and decisions can get made for you, and like where like life was potential when you're young, life becomes what it is as you get older, right? Um, And as that happens, a lot of times like, that can suck the life out of you in a lot of ways, right? Um, and a lot of times, 
You have to guard yourselves against this thought that this world is better than the next. Okay? And you, you'll find yourselves like wrestling with that in, in the way that you make decisions about what you want to do. Because like um, the world would tell you that you should probably make decisions towards making more money so that you can live a happier life because you get one life yellow, right? Like, and then the idea that you would give your life up and go and live somewhere where no one's going to know your name, no one's going to remember you, you're going to write a journal about the work that you did for God, and it's going to be forgotten on some dusty bookshelf, and you don't want that, right? Because you think that type of life, a life that's forgotten doing this work that nobody knows about is somehow meaningless because you have this lie in the back of your minds that this life is better than the next. And here's what I'm telling you, is that this life is not even close to the hope that we have in the next, right? Imagine, um, I, I won't, I won't, we've been laying out this idea of, of the intermediate heaven as a layover. And I want you to imagine you're going on a trip, right? And, and you get on a plane and you fly and perhaps you're going to California or perhaps you're going to the beach or something like that, like, like Hawaii, and you have to make a layover somewhere, right? How many of you are imagining the wonders of the layover? Does anybody? Like we look for direct flights, right? We look for direct flights because the layover is not the place we want to be. If that, here's the, here's the idea, if that layover is better than this life. What hope do we have for the resurrection, right? What hope do we have when we depart from the layover with our Savior as He brings this thing to completion, right? And then we find ourselves with Him when He has completed this work, living what kind of life? In heaven, right? This is why I hope that um, that as we kind of press in to these things, that it can perhaps loosen some of the chains of these ideas um, that we oftentimes find ourselves um, being wrapped up in. And maybe we don't think it, or maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, but we certainly act like it in the way that we live our day-to-day lives because we live like this life is the treasure that we would sell everything for. Christ is the treasure. And to be with Christ, it's far, far better. So, a couple of questions for me as I consider this, this small little verse here about being with Christ and that being far better is, will we be with Christ? Um, we will be with Christ. So here, I'm, I've got three questions. Uh, we will be with Christ but there are those who were with Christ already when Stephen saw him at the right hand. Okay, I want you all to follow me in this thought. Okay, Had people died before Stephen who was stoned? Right? Where were they? Where were they? Were they with Christ? If they were believers, right? If they were believers, they were with Christ. So Stephen's being stoned. He looks up into heaven, the heavens are opened, and he sees Jesus 
And the guy that's like right next to him. Well, I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about if, if I'm reading this verse and I'm putting me in this verse, that to, be, that to be away from this body is to be far better because I'm with Christ. There was somebody that ought to be right there with Christ, right? And when we think about this, like oftentimes when we think about eternity and we think about what it means to be with Christ, like is it like Jesus is in the sin? And there's just this like huge mosh pit that is surrounding Jesus, trying to like crowds, trying to get in and get close to him. Think about this for a second. There were people in heaven in that moment that Stephen was dying. And what happened? Perhaps Jesus set aside time for a one-on-one with Stephen. Right? For a, he, he clearly had a moment where it was him and Stephen. But as I consider this, as I consider what it means to be with Christ, um, how many of you feel like you know me very well because I stand up here? Well, my daughter, obviously. Um, Caroline, I hope that you know me well. Um, you probably don't feel like you get to know me very well from me standing here, right? How do you get to know me? You have to meet me a lot. <laughs> That's good. I like that, Caroline. That's one-on-one conversations, right? That's not... So I want you to, uh, the reason that I ask and I want us to consider what that experience of being with Christ must be, or could it be like, why why I ask the question um, about like when Stephen saw him, like where were, where was everyone else? Were they like, the heaven's going to open like this, he's not going to be able to see past this, so we're just going to like step to the side for a second. So all that's that Stephen sees is Jesus. And then as soon as the heavens close back up, here we are, we're back, like mosh pit around Jesus. Is that, or perhaps, perhaps, is it such that you can have one-on-one time with the king? Just you and him. Just you and him talking. Perhaps just like life is here for us today, there can be moments where it's like this, where it's like a group of us together with Him. And then other moments, we're getting to know Him in a way that's very special and very personal. We're with Him one-on-one. Like, that's the question that I have when I consider this. Um, so, like, the second question, did Jesus step away for a moment to have a one-on-one with Stephen here? Um, when we consider what it is to be with Christ. And um, will we get moments where it's one-on-one with Jesus and then other moments where it's larger community of believers there. These are just kind of questions that I have that come into my mind as I consider what it will be like to be with Him. What is it like to be with me? Or what is it like to be with any one of you here? What does that mean? Like, It's much richer than I think we oftentimes give it credit for when we consider it. Um, so it's no small thing to say that it's going to be far better and that it's going to be far better with him. Um, we are inching up on time here. Um, I want us to consider, I'm going to look at three different verses um, to kind of get this picture of paradise. And then we're going to think about a couple of questions out of it. Um, that should, oh, oh man. Um, we'll go through these quickly. Uh, so Luke chapter 23 verse 43 we've touched on this one before so we won't linger on it much Um, but i want us to look at particularly when we look at these three verses that are upcoming consider that the word for 
that's translated for paradise in each and every one of these is the same word. Consider also the timing between them. One is literally at the cross, two of them, or after the cross, one of them comes from Revelation. Um, And I'm kind of cheating a little bit by stepping into Revelation. We're going to spend some time on it next week, but I wanted to give us a little bit of a a peek into that because some interesting things come out of that. So like last week, one of the interesting things that I hope you thought was interesting was the fact that like, when they're peeking into heaven um, or into the heavenly realm that like one of the things that they saw were horses and chariots like that's an I don't know how I've read that verse so many times and missed the fact that this angelic realm within it when they glance over on the hills there's horses and chariots and how I've met like how I've only ever thought in my mind that it was the same thing that Gabriel was right but it's not like they're glimpsing over and there's something there's a richer experience that we get a, a sneak peek into there. Um, and uh, the word that Scripture tends to get, um, tends to use in regards to this um, when we think about it in heaven is this word paradise. So uh, we'll see this here. So Luke 23, verse 43, And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me, where? In paradise. All right, so we looked at that. Um, Jesus is on the cross. He's speaking to the man beside him. um, And he says to him that that very day he will be with Jesus in paradise. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says this. And we've touched on this one as well, so we won't spend a ton of time on it. But just to kind of get an idea again. I know a man in Christ who was 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or um, out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. So this is Paul caught up here. He's, he, he sees paradise, whether it's in the body or out of the body. He does not know. But the description that he gives of it's paradise, right? This idea of like, now here's, here's, an, here's another, this Oftentimes, the idea of paradise, you could think of it think of it as like, if you walk into a garden, you can tell the difference between a garden and just the woods. How many of you can tell the difference? If, how many of you, if you were walking through the woods, would know if you stumbled upon a garden? <laughs> good, good. Why? Gardens are more beautiful. Why are gardens more beautiful? They have more beautiful flowers. Perhaps because someone tends to the garden. Someone spends time in the garden. It's a thing that's been set apart and established. It's been the intention of it is to put forward the beauty in an organized way, right? So this is very much the idea that we get when we think about paradise. The word of paradise here. Um, also, when we look at the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7, and we see this. I'll, I, so, I intentionally pointed to you to the weird thing that we saw last week about getting this glimpse of heavenly beings and them being described as horses and chariots, right? Um, horses, chariots of fire. I want to point out another interesting thing here. Now, um, this is in Revelation, um, chapter 2, verse Seven, he says, He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, 
I will grant to eat of the tree of life. I want to pause for a second. Where's, was, what, what do you know about the tree of life? Where was it? It was in Eden. Right? The tree of life was in Eden. Now, we should ask ourselves when we're dealing with this scripture in Revelation, is this some type of allusion to something spiritual? Right? We should, we should ask that. We are dealing with a prophetic book. There's a reason that when we were asking the question about whether or not heaven was physical or had anything physical, that I intentionally stayed away from anything that was prophetic, anything that was like, um, like anything like the book of Revelation, where there was room for question in that regard. But this is super close to the beginning, and this is super close to the addressing of the churches here. And where does he speak of the tree of life being? In paradise. Okay, so the place where Jesus told that this man beside him on the cross that he would be with him in paradise, this place that Paul was taken up to, whether it was in the body or out of the body, who knows, only God knows, but he calls it paradise. And then in Revelation, when it speaks to the churches and it grants to those who conquer, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God, all right? And this is the this is the thing that like, where is it? Where is it? Where's the where's the tree of life right now? Anybody want to venture a guess? <laughs> Scripture says the tree of life is in the paradise of God. As we push forward, and this is going to be pretty far down the line from the questions that we're asking today, we're going to, to look at the, la- the latter chapters of the book of Revelation where we see the throne of God, this paradise coming down out of heaven. And we're going to ask questions about that. Um, we're going to ask questions about that when we get there. Um, so a question, a couple of questions that I have whenever I consider this verse regarding these verses regarding paradise. So um, I think one day we will be with Jesus in paradise, that there are those who are currently now experiencing moments with Christ in paradise. And this paradise apparently contains the tree of life. And I ask myself the question, this is, this is like, I'm not going to try to answer this one again. I'm not going to try to answer it tonight. I just want to kind of plant these seeds of thought that, that you would consider this, these questions yourself. Just kind of training you. I'm trying to train you up and how to ask questions about God's word. Um, seeking out answers most definitely. But uh, as we seek out answers, we will no doubt run into more and more questions. It's just seems to work that way. Uh, So why does it give us words that evoke such vivid imagery is one of the questions that I have. We could simply be with Christ, but it speaks about being with him in a place that is beautiful and set apart, right? Like, would it be enough to just be with him? Would it? I feel like a lot of times, like, 
if you would even question that, like, you, you might feel like you would be a heretic to say, like, that you'd want to be in a place at all, right? I, I don't think that you would be a heretic to have those feelings because I think the very fact that Scripture itself leans so heavily on this imagery that leads us to these ideas that are inevitably physical in our minds, I think that's significant. I think that's important. Um, We will be with Jesus in a place. All right, I'm going to murder this last one trying to just get through it. There's so much here. I may circle back to it next week, but for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to dig as deeply into it as I would like. So I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to ask some questions about it, and I'll plan on circling back next week. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24. Um, I'm going to read this. I want us to think about the imagery that comes in in this verse. I want us to think about what it means. I want us to think about, like, is this real? What's what's it trying to get across to us? Um, what does this say towards our hope of the experience of heaven now? Verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 12. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an in innumerable and two excuse me and two innumerable angels in festival gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect um, that's such a beautiful way of referring to those who have died that I think I'm going to attempt from now on in the future only to re- to refer to those who have died, not to those who are dead, but to the spirits who, of the righteous who, who have been made perfect. Like That's a beautiful way to think about those who have died. And to Jesus, verse 24, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So here we see these pictures. When we're thinking about heaven, we're thinking about drawing close to heaven. Again, the language of the text, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So a city with a name. And then this one's really interesting to an innumerable, like innumerable angels in festival gatherings. What is that? What is a festival? Mary Karen. <laughs> what is a festival? Does anybody know what a festival is? A celebration. Would, would it be safe to say that a festival is like a party? Is that, is that safe? Is that safe? So what are the angels doing? What are an innumerable number of angels doing? When he's... They're choosing the language of Scripture very intentionally. He could have said this in a bunch of different ways. But when he's thinking about drawing near to heaven, he's thinking about these heavenly hosts gathered like they were at a festival or like they were at a party. I, I would go so far as to say is that that is a much richer experience if we think about that than we oftentimes picture when we think about heaven. Right? I think a lot of times... like. 
it, <laughs> it feels weird for me to say to you that heaven's like a party. <laughs> it feels weird. It feels weird. Because what do you think about at a party? What do you think about? Are parties boring? You hope not. You leave if it is. What do you think? What do you think about? Fun? Fun? You would hope if you throw a party that it's a fun party. You would hope that people think that it's fun, right? The idea that heaven might be fun, is that far from us? Is that far from us? Like, are we too serious to think that heaven might be fun? Not just like better, right? Because you can all be better. You can go live better. But oftentimes it's hard to do that and have fun. When we think, at least, right? That's why like oftentimes like the view of the way that Christians live their lives are like fuddy daddies, not like people who can have fun. Right? When then we get this picture of like you can't count the number of angels that are at festival gatherings. Like, they seem, if, if, if it's safe to say that a festival is like a party, that seems like they're having a good time. And they're with Jesus. They're with the righteous spirits made perfect. So, a couple of questions or thoughts regarding this and then and then we're done um it's a city he chose wor- he he chose his words it's not as though he was unaware of what a city looked like so some some thoughts are there shops there are there people walking around when we think about a city those are the types of things that we think about we think about like busyness people going to and fro and all kind of things going on. Like people love to move to a city because there's always something to do, right? What are things that we would expect to see in a city? And is it safe to, to say that we could expect to see those types of things um, in heaven? These are questions that I have. Um, and uh, we've already kind of touched on this, but the idea of what in the world does it mean when it says a festival gathering? Um are we actually saying that the that the angels know how to party? Um, I think I think they do. I think they know how how to have a good time. Um, I think we will too, and I think eternity will be um, much better than we would ever um, we would ever have thought otherwise. Um, so next week we're going to look at one ver or one passage of text, and and we're going to come to several observations from that, but. Um, today, kind of just leaving us, leaving us with this, um, this life that we will experience in heaven if we find ourselves there, even today, or those that we love who have found themselves there. This life is far better with Christ in paradise, with all that that entails. That being said, I will close this. We'll end there. I'll close this in prayer, and we'll be done.